While tackling your New Year's goals, don't forget about your daily dose of fruits and vegetables, which just got easier to remember thanks to Balance of Nature. Their fruit and veggie capsules offer a convenient way to consume those essential nutritional ingredients daily. So improve your diet and feel your best this year. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code WIRE for 35% off, plus a free fiber and spice in your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code WIRE. The World Economic Forum is in full swing as liberal elites from all over the world travel to the wealthy and difficult to access Swiss mountain town of Davos to hobnob, enrich themselves, and conspire to control all of our lives. And if that doesn't sound cartoonishly villainous enough, the WEF elites decided to kick things up a notch this year by inviting an actual witch to cast magic spells on the panelists. Elon Musk referred to this person in the headdress with the face paint and everything as Elizabeth Warren, but she looks a little different. This is obviously some sort of prayer. It's obviously not a Christian prayer, so one can only imagine which uh, supposed deities she's invoking. Okay, now she's breathing on her hands. That doesn't seem very cautious with COVID. And Oh, there we go. She coughed on one of the panelists' faces. Okay, another one. She's just... <laughs> they're obviously just messing with us because Weff led the charge of saying... Wear face masks, don't, you can't ever cough, you can't breathe. Now she's just coughing a mixture of her uh, presumably bacteria-ridden breath, uh, but also at the spiritual level, uh, who knows what kind of um, spirits. It's weird. The lady in question here styles herself an indigenous shaman, which is just the PC term for witch. And it's nothing new. For all of human history, prideful elites have been inclined toward the ridiculous occult worship of false gods. The indigenous tribes all did it. The Canaanites did it. Even the Israelites did it when Moses left them to their own devices for five minutes in the desert. The counterparts to shamans and witches are priests and prophets. Both groups dress in funny clothing and perform rituals. The difference is that while shamans cavort with demons, prophets proclaim the truth and therefore appear to predict the future. But, as a wise priest once observed, they only predict the future in the derivative sense of warning of the consequences of denying the truth. We know the liberal elites of WEF have spread plenty of lies. Now they're dancing around with actual witches. It doesn't take an Old Testament prophet to know that the consequences are unlikely to be good. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. RuPaul has some advice, and we're listening for some reason. RuPaul says, if a drag queen wants to read you a story at a library, let her. We will examine the wisdom of that advice in just a moment. First, though, there is some good news coming out of WEF. WEF, uh, that's, WEF is how the cool guys pronounce W-E-F, or World Economic Forum. We're going to have some more stuff on WEF coming up in a little bit. 
But that's, that's how they all refer to it over there. And it's this insufferable group of big lib elites and crony corporate leaders and apparently witches. And they all conspire in this really ritzy mountain town to control the entire world and to subvert self-government and to do a whole host of nasty things. Which is why it was so refreshing when the newly elected leader of Argentina, Javier Millet, showed up. That worried a lot of people. They said, oh no, Millet, the populist, the libertarian, he's going to become a WEF guy. But he didn't stick to the usual Davos script. Today, I'm here to tell you that the Western world is in danger. And it is endangered because those who are supposed to have to defend the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. Unfortunately, in recent decades, motivated by some well-meaning individuals willing to help others, and others motivated by the wish to belong to a privileged caste, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. We're here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. Rather, they are the root cause. Do believe me, no one better place than us, Argentines, to testify to these two points. Great stuff. Great stuff. I don't really agree with this guy on everything because, well, you heard the way he speaks. He's a libertarian. So he's speaking about material goods, about about how to alleviate poverty, how to enrich people. He's speaking about freedom in a liberal, lowercase l sense. So he contrasts that with collectivism. And as I've said on the show many times, I think radical individualism and radical collectivism, I think they're just two sides of the same coin. And they're both opposed to the common good and tradition and conservatism. And so I I can't say three cheers for Javier Millet, but I can say two cheers for Javier Millet because these guys need to hear it. These World Economic Forum people do want to peddle socialism. They look to China as the model. They, some of them are outright communists. They're dancing around with witches. They're, they're opposed to freedom, both the defective libertarian view of freedom and the true classical view of freedom. Look, they're opposed to both of it. And so it's great. It's, it's amazing to see a world leader show up and give them a piece of his mind, and at least point out all the stuff they're getting wrong, even if if Malay doesn't have the total uh, right answer to combat it. Really, really great. Glad to see it in an otherwise alternately bizarre and uh, downright occult kind of world economic forum. The big topic of WEF this year concerns America, and it concerns the Republican Party, and it concerns President Kofefe. They are terrified, and they've said this openly, of the return of Donald Trump. So they're going to do whatever they can to subvert Donald Trump. They know that Trump is popular. They know he's the most popular guy in the GOP. They know he's the most popular guy in the presidential race. He's out polling Biden right now. So what are they going to do? They're going to try to prevent people from even having the opportunity to elect him. They're going to try to undermine his campaign before people can cast a ballot. And they're doing that by prosecuting him. So one of the big cases against Trump, forget about Biden's DOJ going after him with the Jack Smith case over the classified documents that Joe Biden mishandled as well. Forget about that. There's this case in Fulton County in Georgia. 
because they say that the fact that the sitting president of the United States called the secretary of state of Georgia and raised questions and doubts about the legitimacy of the election that was plagued by allegations of fraud, because of that, the man is an insurrectionist and he should be thrown in prison. They're, they're running a RICO case against him. RICO is for racketeering. It's, it's the type of prosecution used against the mafia. They're, they're trying this totally, I mean, any prosecution of a former president, current leader of the opposition, totally unprecedented, but especially to pretend that, that you're a mobster just because you're in the oppo- opposing political party. Totally crazy. Well, it looks like the corruption runs even deeper in that Georgia prosecution because Fannie Willis, the DA in Fulton County, has been caught in a major scandal financial, political, even romantic, the prosecutor that the DA who brought the charges against Trump that she picked appears to be her lover who she paid a lot of money to, taxpayer dollars, and then that lover appears to have taken her on very lavish vacations and met with the Biden administration and the whole thing stinks to high heaven. So the allegations come up. They're being reported even in left-wing papers. What does Fannie Willis say? Does she deny it? Does she say this is completely ridiculous? Does she say this is a witch hunt? No. She plays the race card at a church on Sunday. But dear God, are you listening? Why does Commissioner Thorne and so many others question my decision in a special counsel? Lord, your flawed, hard-headed, and imperfect child, I'm a little confused. I appointed three special counsel, as is my right to do, paid them all the same hourly rate. They only attacked one. I hired one white woman, a good personal friend and great lawyer, a superstar, I tell you. I hired one white man, brilliant, my friend and a great lawyer. And I hired one black man, another superstar, a great friend, and a great lawyer. Yeah, but the white lady didn't take you on expensive vacations to the Caribbean with the money that you paid her. She says that she paid them the same hourly rate. Other outlets are reporting that that isn't true, that she actually paid this this special friend of hers a lot more money. Uh, But I think the evidence that she's guilty is one, neither she nor the prosecutor have denied the affair, and two, She didn't go to the media to talk about this. She didn't hold a press conference. She shows up to a black church to say, dear Lord, they're going after me because I'm a black woman. She played that race card as fast as she could. That is the last refuge of scoundrels. They have got this woman dead to rights. And it's not just me, a right winger saying this, even the left wing papers are saying it. Probably the most devastating reporting on this so far has actually come from the Washington Post. We'll get to that in one second. We will talk about it. But first, we've got to talk about Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. If you're like me, there's not a day goes by, you don't call or text someone that you care about. I, sometimes I'm a little weak on the texting, but it, usually there's one or two people, and at least my wife, you know, I kind of text. My friends at Pure Talk are making that easier and more affordable to connect with the most important people in your life. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network, It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. With unlimited plans starting at just 20 bucks a month, the average family saves almost $1,000 a year. As a veteran-owned company, PureTalk raised $10 million toward veterans' debt last year alone. 
What's more, Pure Talk's customer service team is located right here in the good old US of A. As far as I'm concerned, that's worth switching over just for that. They can help you make the switch in as little as 10 minutes. So I challenge you to stand with a company that champions your beliefs today. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Right now, you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That is puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to save on wireless with a company you can be proud to spend your money with. I really, really like these guys. They've got a phenomenal service. I've got it here somewhere in my home right now. I've got that phone. puretalk.com slash Knowles. Headline in the Washington Post, you know that far right-wing paper, Washington Post, Nathan Wade, embattled prosecutor in Georgia Trump case, has little prosecution experience. Not only did this woman pick her alleged lover to, to prosecute this huge case against the former president, current leader of the opposition, but she picked a guy who is completely unqualified to do it. It was just so blatant. It was so brazen. How did she think she would get away with this? So ridiculous that even the Washington Post has to call it out. They write, quote, in the fall of 2021, Nathan Wade, the prosecutor, had little experience prosecuting criminal cases in the Atlanta area, serving as a municipal judge who mostly dealt with traffic tickets and running a private practice that focuses on family law and contract disputes. Then Fulton County DA Fannie Willis tapped him to lead the biggest case of her career. One of Trump's co-defendants alleged in a court filing last week that the two prosecutors are lovers who have vacationed together on Wade's dime that he got from the taxpayers in Napa Valley in the Caribbean. The accusations, if true, could present a conflict of interest or could amount to fraud. You don't say. And then WAPO concludes, the episode has drawn attention to an arrangement in which Willis's office hired an outside attorney and paid his firm more than $650,000 over two years to lead a criminal investigation typically managed by civil servants. Great point. Washington Post, never thought I'd say that. Great point. Why is an outside lawyer even handling this? Why isn't the the DA's office doing it internally? Well, because then there's not as much opportunity for graft and kickbacks. That's why. They go to the Caribbean. They go to Napa Valley. You know where else the prosecutor goes? The prosecutor goes and meets with Biden officials. So these this investigation and this prosecution in Georgia is supposed to be totally separate from the Biden White House. This isn't Joe Biden just prosecuting his popular political rival because he wants to take him out of the race. No, no, it's separate. Well, if it's separate, then why is the prosecutor meeting for hours on end with Biden lackeys? And then here's the best part, the cherry on the Sunday. He bills Fulton County for the time. <laughs> he billed them something like $8,000. It was at least four. It might've been $8,000 whatever it was, thousands of dollars for the time, as if to say, yeah, I'm here, I'm working for Fulton County, and we're taking our marching orders from Biden, who wants to lock his opponent in prison because he's not going to win the election fair and square. So people are are really shocked by this. I'm not shocked by this. These are people who would, for the first time in American history, throw the leader of the opposition, the major rival candidate for president, in prison on completely trumped up charges, pun intended. Of course they're corrupt. (laughs) Of course they're cheating on their spouses and taking handouts and giving kickbacks and going on vacation to the Caribbean and meeting with the crooks in DC to try to coordinate the prosecution. Of course, man. Of course they are. People are not usually just a little bit corrupt. (laughs) Okay. And what, what the Democrats broadly are doing to Trump right now is the height of American political corruption. Yeah, 
And, and look, this mi- they might have flown a little too close to the sun here. This might spoil that whole case. That's why the Democrats have backups. That's why they're going after him in New York and they're going after him in Washington, D.C. And I don't know, pretty soon they're going to go after him in Palookaville. Because they know that individually, all of these cases are frivolous. They're, they're so ridiculous. And they need backups because this one very well might have fallen apart. When the libs lose the Washington Post, you know they're in trouble. Now, for his part, Trump is feeling pretty good. The GOP primary is effectively over. DeSantis and Haley are still in the race. Officially. I think Asa Hutchinson might still officially be in the race, but there's really no path to victory for anyone other than Trump right now. Uh, so the, the party is consolidating behind him, including the clearest sign of this yet. Senator Ted Cruz, President Trump's chief rival in 2016, the man who almost beat Trump for the nomination, just came out and endorsed him. Listen, last night was decisive. It, it was it was a dominating victory for Donald Trump. I, I got to say, there's no place like the Iowa caucuses. I know it intimately. The men and women of Iowa, they take their responsibility incredibly seriously. They scrutinize the candidates. It's an amazing process. And I'm a big believer in letting democracy play out. Well, Last night it played out, and I, I got to say, Trump's victory was across the board. He won 51% of the vote. He won 98 of the counties. Congratulations to President Trump on that dominating victory. And, and at this point, I, I believe this race is over. So, so I am proud to endorse Donald Trump for president of the United States. I look forward to supporting him enthusiastically because I think it's time for the Republican Party to unite, for us to come together. We've got to beat Joe Biden. We've got to beat this disastrous cultural Marxist agenda in the White House. We've got to retake the United States Senate. We've got to hold the House. We got to come together and win. And with the results last night, the people have spoken. It's time to move onward to victory in November. I think Senator Cruz handled this very well. The guy ran a brutal campaign against Trump in 2016. Then when Trump won, Cruz got on board they accomplished some great things together. They worked very well together when Trump was president. Then when this primary came up, Senator Cruz stayed out of it. He just, he, he didn't run for president again. He basically stayed out of the primary, perhaps in part because some of his former political team were working for other candidates. And so I, I felt it was a classy move. He stayed out of it. And now it is very clear the race is for all intents and purposes over. It, it really doesn't need to drag out any longer than it has. I'm not calling on the other candidates to drop out. They can stay in as long as they like, but it, it seems very unlikely that there is anything else to be gained <laughs> from these other candidates staying in the race. And so Cruz said, okay, all right, there it is. Whether you love Trump, whether you hate Trump, he's the guy, he's the nominee, and we all want to beat Joe Biden. And he is perf- not only acceptable, I think, to basically the whole GOP, but some people are very enthusiastic about him being the nominee. So however you feel about him personally, let's get together and let's support the nominee. Very classy, very mature way to handle it. And a big sign that the primary is over. Trump got another endorsement on top of Senator Cruz and some of the other top Republicans who have, who have jumped on board. And that would be Meek Mill. I don't really know Meek Mill. You know, I'm not the hippest cat out there necessarily, but Meek Mill is a rapper. And he tweeted out in response to a a rally that Vivek and Trump were doing together. He tweeted out, he said, 
Wait till y'all see who the black people in poverty voting for, four exclamation points. Now, what does that mean? It was being reported as an implicit endorsement of Trump. I didn't know. I couldn't quite tell how to read it. But then I realized two days ago, he made his political views even clearer. He said, Joe Biden is too old to be our president, respectfully. WTF is going on in the American system that y'all pushing this through like it's okay to trust what we see in. <laughs> so it's pretty clear here. Meek Mill, Mr. Mill, endorsing Donald Trump. And my pal Nate Hockman pointed something out yesterday as well, which is a ton of black rappers have endorsed Trump. Conspicuously, the most famous white rapper hates Trump and constantly whines about it, Eminem. But a bunch of other rappers, Kodak Black, Lil Pump, Kanye, of course, Lil Wayne, Ice Cube, now Meek Mill, have all endorsed Trump at some point over the last eight to 10 years. That's kind of weird, right? Uh, Trump, I think, is the first Republican candidate for any office that any rappers have publicly endorsed. What gives? What's going on here, man? I'll tell you what's going on. You know that I like to read political philosophy. I like to read all the greats. Cicero, Aristotle, Donoso Cortez, Edmund Burke, and of course, Mars, M-A-R-Z-Z, a brilliant political philosopher who once observed, real recognize real. That's what's going on here. Donald Trump is basically a rapper. Donald Trump is a tabloid-hitting, wild, outrageous, flashy, paints-everything-in-gold international celebrity who dates supermodels and is outrageous. He's been that guy for 40 years. He's appeared in rap songs, in public big hit rap songs, something like 300 times or more. And to quote Mars, real recognize real. You think that rappers, you think that wild entertainers of any sort are going to be endorsing Mitt Romney? Not very many. You get the occasional Clint Eastwood, but that's about it. Trump, it's a little bit different. And so I know people look at him, they say he's going to lose all these voters. He turns people off. He says nasty things. He, he zigs and zags on policy. I know I'm not denying any of that stuff. But I am really skeptical of the claim that Trump shrinks the party. I just don't think it's true. I don't think it was true in 2016. And I I believe that my take on that was proven when he won the election. I don't, I think it's true now. He's he's got the traditionalists, the rad trads, the people willing to wield government power and the extreme libertarians both endorsing him. Compact Magazine, the American Post Liberal on one hand and Rand Paul and Mike Lee on the other. And they're coming together Uh, even some of the foreign policy hawks like him. Donald Trump, ironically, has has been able to unify the conservative movement, the three-legged stool of Ronald Reagan, the trad conservatives, the libertarians, and the foreign policy hawks. He's been able to bring them together better than any Republican since Ronald Reagan. For all of his divisiveness, the guy is weirdly a uniter. There's no question we're living in a clown world. That that very statement that I just said, it it shows you what a crazy world we're living in. The powers that be are straight out of a carnival. Basic notions of right and wrong, justice, truth, even reality itself have been thrown out the window. The world is coming to an end. How are we going to make sense of it? Join Jonathan Peugeot, 
in the new four-part series, End of the World, as he explains why the world as we know it is ending, how to survive it, and how we can plant the seeds for the next world today. Jonathan Peugeot is an icon carver, public speaker, YouTuber, and a good friend of Jordan Peterson. You might remember Jonathan from his profoundly illuminating comments in Jordan's series on Exodus. Now he's back and will draw upon his deep knowledge of Christian tradition, stories, mythology, and history to explain the contradictions in our society, wacky phenomena, and how this pattern will reach its conclusion. In End of the World, you will receive a thoughtful framework to make sense of these confusing times and a roadmap to lead us out of the clown world and restore order. All episodes are available now exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. If you have not become a member, this is the perfect time. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe, unmask the carnies, and see beyond the end. Watch End of the World today. Speaking of real, recognize real, I don't want to brag, but I just received a major honor. This comes by way of FIRE, very well-known organization, Freedom of uh, Individual Rights in Education. They have a list of all the canceled speakers this year on the right and on the left. They're virtually all right-wingers canceled by the left. But they got a list, and it turns out I am the champion disinvitee of 2023. I was canceled. I was disinvited from campus speaking engagements more than anyone else in 2023. And I consider that a great honor. I lost a lot of opportunities to get my views out there. I lost money. I lost... uh, a really important part of what I do, which is, but I gained a lot. I gained the greatest amount of ire from the left. And I take that as as a great badge. Uh, Some of my fellow contestants, most of these guys are actually personal friends of mine. Uh, I think Matt and Charlie Kirk came in second. I think uh, Ilya Shapiro, those guys had, and maybe Riley Gaines too, they had uh, two cancellations each, I think. Maybe Riley only had one. No, Riley had two. And uh, there there were some other shout outs there as well. James Lindsay got canceled. There were a number of them. Uh, I'm really honored. I'm especially honored because I didn't even state publicly all of the cancellations. They credit me here with three. I, I was actually canceled from more like five or six schools. And I, I haven't said it publicly because I don't want to just whine all the time, about, believe it or not, about uh, these kind of personal slights, but also because we might be able to beat the liberal administrations and end up this semester on those campuses. So we're going to play it cool. In any case, though, thank you to FIRE. Thank you to the leftist administrators at the universities. Thank you first to the conservative students for inviting me. Thank you to the leftist administrators for canceling me in this ridiculous way, because I have the audacity to say crazy things like men are not women, and there's objective truth and stuff like that. And uh, for all of my fellow contestants, I look forward to sharing a bowl of gruel with all of you in the gulag, probably sooner rather than later, if things keep going the way that they are. Uh, I also want to thank Steve McGuire, who's a fellow at the American Council of Trustees and Alumni, for pointing out my uh, dubious distinction. Speaking of free speech, RuPaul, who I don't really know, like I know the face and I know the name. I don't really know what that person does other than pop up on TV and say outrageous things every now and again. RuPaul has just come out and said that, that everyone needs to cool it 
with the transphobia around Drag Queen Story Hour. Listen, if a drag queen wants to read you a story at a library, listen to her because knowledge is power. And if someone tries to restrict your access to power, they are trying to scare you. So listen to a drag queen. We love you. Thank you. Listen to a drag queen. Knowledge is power. Really interesting point, RuPaul. Now, do Bibles in schools. What about that? If a teacher wants to read you a Bible in a school, you should let her, right? You should listen to her. Oh, no, no, no. We can't do that. No, no, no. That's terrible. That's unconstitutional. That's evil. That's oppressive. That's terrible. Don't ever let anyone do that. Ever. If a conservative student group wants to host a totally mainstream right-wing public figure, you should go listen to that person, right? No, no, we have to shut them down. That's terrible because knowledge is power. That's the one point that that guy made that's true. Knowledge is power and the dissemination of knowledge is power. Information is power. This term misinformation has become very popular these days, but it's a silly term. I'm not the first to observe it. There's just information. There are information wars that go on. And uh, what sort of information is allowed to get out there? What sort of information is publicly encouraged? How that information gets out there? What kind of information gets amplified? That's going to determine the contours of the standards and norms of your society. It's going, to, it's going to determine how people perceive the world and how they behave and what kind of country that you live in. That's what that's about. What RuPaul and all the rest of the, the pro-trans, pro-drag people are saying is not we want total free speech. They obviously don't look at the list put out by fire. What they want is their subversive, false, ugly, wicked voices to be heard and to set the contours of society. And they want to suppress voices that are traditional, common sense, true, good, beautiful, any, anything like that. That they've got to keep out. This is why a lot of this craziness on campus began almost immediately after liberal activists on the courts banned the Bible and prayer from schools because nature abhors a vacuum. So once you, once you take the truth and the, good, and the good stuff and the kind of information that built our whole civilization, when you take that out of schools, there's a vacuum. And what's going to fill that is going to be less good and less beautiful and less true, especially then when the schools uh, double down on all of it and create incentives for more of it and special protections for it. And the popular culture encourages it as well. So now we've got transmania everywhere. I guess that's a little redundant, isn't it? Transmania. But it's everywhere. It's a big fad. It's all anyone talks about these days. And the conservatives rightly are saying, hey, cool it. We really, you know, whatever, do whatever you want, I guess. That's kind of the mainstream right-wing view, but just don't Stop trying to trans me. Stop trying to trans my kids. Stop trying to force it into elementary schools and, and have my son or daughter think that he's the opposite sex and do all sort of weird deviant sex stuff. And the politically shrewd pro-trans people, they say, oh, we're not doing that. How dare you? That's a terrible calumny that you're throwing at us. But the honest ones are saying, yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. Hey, TikTok, just wanted to let you know that I am pushing my gay agenda on everybody. If I get a chance to talk to your children, I will turn them trans, and I'm also promoting obesity. 
Have a gay fat trans day. Points for honesty. Some people might think that that person is being ironic. I don't think so. But that's exactly what we heard in total sincerity from the heads of Disney. Remember that a year or two years ago? The leaked Zoom meetings. It was the silver lining of COVID is we got to see what goes on behind closed doors in the classroom, in the boardroom, in these woke corporations. Remember the heads of Disney said, yeah, we have a not so secret gay agenda. We're forcing it on your kids. Exactly what that Looney Tune just said. Except they wield a lot of power and they're pushing it. And of course they are. I give, I give that pro-trans person with the weird little cat ears a lot of credit. Of course, this is what they want to do. They want to trans your kids. Uh, she says she's pushing obesity. I think it's a she. Says she's pushing obesity too. That, and there's obviously that, this push against fat phobia and body positivity as a way to normalize unhealthy lifestyles. Not just to be nice to people, not just to be polite, but, but to actually encourage things that are harmful and unhealthy. Two reasons for that. One, the simplest reason is misery loves company. This is why these guys are constantly proselytizing their weird sex stuff is because it immiserates them. I, I don't even just mean that as a, a kind of flippant prejudicial judgment. I mean, you just look at the statistics, the rates of anxiety, depression, suicidality among people who go into this weird sex stuff are through the roof and they're not improved by anything. <laughs> even the, the gender affirmation surgery doesn't make anything better. And according to the largest data set we have on it, makes at least one of those segments, uh, anxiety, worse. So we know that. We know misery loves company. We know drug addicts are always trying to get people to do drugs. Weird sex addicts are trying to do the same thing, I guess. But even beyond that, even beyond misery loves company, more broadly, everyone inevitably tries to convert people to their beliefs. No one is really neutral about anything. No one is really uninterested in persuading people to think and behave like them. Everyone necessarily does that. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, Christians have the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Christianity is an evangelical religion. Not all religions are quite so proselytizing in an overt way, but the ones that are not quite so proselytizing are proselytizing in a political way to push for broad uh, uh, religious toleration and even further secularism and the separation of church and state. I mean, this is what you see really with liberals. Take religion out of it for a second and just think politically. The liberals, the lowercase l liberals, they might say, look, you believe whatever you want. I might not agree with what you have to say, but I'll defend to to the death. You're right to say it. I don't know why they would do that. I certainly will not defend to the death some Satanist's right to go trans the kids or something. But anyway, that's what the liberals say that they are willing to do. And yet even that is proselytizing and persuasive and a little coercive. The thing they're trying to get you to do is for you to stop convincing them of anything. The thing they're trying to get you to do is for you to stop taking your religion so seriously. The thing that they're trying to get you to do is for you to pull your beliefs out of the public square and shut up about them and and change the American traditions of freedom of religion, public worship, to something that you do just privately, you know, in your own home. Everyone's trying to persuade people of their views. They, They have to. Because we live in a society, we're social creatures, and the way that other people behave will affect our ability to exercise our rights and to live as we would like to live. Of course, the, the clearest example of this 
is the transvestite who says, I just want to be left alone. Why are you interested in how I identify? This is none of your business. Leave me alone and let me go into your daughter's bathroom. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. You can believe whatever you, but don't, you can't go into my daughter's bathroom. Why not? Now you're infringing on my right to identify as a woman. I'm a woman. And if I'm a woman, I'm going to go into your daughter's bathroom. Well, no, but you're not really a woman, but you can't say that. You're infringing on my rights. Well, now you're infringing on my rights because I think I have a right for a huge dude not to go into my daughter's bathroom. This language of individualism, just it just doesn't hold up for more than 30 seconds. It, hold, it holds up in late night bull sessions, sophomore year of college, after you took your first political philosophy class, but it doesn't hold up in the real world. That trans TikToker is going to try to trans your kids, as she says, and she's going to try to get them to be obese too. And you just need to expect that. And your response to that can either be a fake neutrality that's going to lead nowhere other than the loss and concession of the public square, or you can persuade people of your beliefs, which have the advantage of being true. Now, speaking of hostility toward good and true beliefs, you know I'm not a huge football guy, believe it or not. I was not the captain of my high school or college football team, but I saw a clip going around of a guy on the Texas football team, whatever that is. Which one is it? I don't know, but he's got a thing on it. It says Texans. This guy, his name is C.J. Stroud, Houston. He's the quarterback for Houston. And anyway, what I'm really interested in in this story is who he thanked after winning a game. And then what I'm especially interested in is what part of the interview NBC cut out which we'll get to in one second. First though, my favorite comment yesterday is from goodbones1289, who says, I can't believe Haley outlasted Vivek. Honestly, I don't believe she really did. I do. I totally do. She'll probably outlast DeSantis. Not because she's the strongest candidate in the race, not because she's the most likely candidate to be the nominee. Of course not. Vivek is super smart. He did incredibly well. He went from 0% name recognition to something like 8% in the polls. That's very, very impressive. And DeSantis is great too. I really like DeSantis. But as I said from the beginning, the problem for DeSantis was he had no lane. <laughs> he, he was a Trumpy candidate who, whose initial pitch at least was I'm Trump without the baggage, but the race forced him to be in the anti-Trump lane. But he's not really a never Trumper type. He's kind of Trumpy. So he had, there was no, no lane. He had to be kind of Trumpy and then Trump was going to beat him because Trump is Trump. The same thing with Vivek. Vivek and Trump disagree on very little. Vivek explicitly ran his campaign as America first, as carrying on the torch of Trump's legacy. But Trump doesn't want to give up the limelight yet. So he was never going to make it all that far. I mean, that was just built into the calculus of the campaign. The only, the only candidate who really will have a lane, even as Trump continues to win, is going to be Haley, who styled herself as the anti-Trump, and she's really leaned into that lane. So I'm not surprised. I don't, I don't think it's a knock on Vivek. I don't think it's a knock on DeSantis, but you got to play your part. When you get cast in the play, you get cast in the movie, you know, you got to play your part or you're not going to stay very long on that stage. Houston quarterback C.J. Stroud won a game and he thanked Jesus. And NBC News didn't seem to like that. What does this moment mean 
First and foremost, I just want to give all glory and praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's been amazing. What does this moment mean? I mean, it's been amazing being in this city for as short as I've been, but the love that I've got. Oh, wait, hold on. That was, the, was supposed to be the same clip. One was how it actually went, and then the other one was how they posted it, how they edited it and posted it. And they, did you see they cut out something kind of important? Weird, huh? <laughs> Isn't that weird that the media would cut out the actual heart of this man's message, which is, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm, can't say that. It's kind of weird. We're a Christian country. We're a Christian civilization. Not only is that a good and true thing for him to say, but it would be very, very popular. And yet the media cut it out. Weird, isn't it? It's, it's so weird how Christianity continues to be, as it has been since the advent of our Lord and Savior, the most persecuted religion ever in the, in the whole history of the world. And that kind of weird. It's almost as if we wrestle not against flesh, as they do in the football game, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. In any case, maybe I got to tune into football because this guy, CJ Stroud, he's got his head screwed on straight, even if not a single person at NBC seems to. Speaking of football, the New England new head coach has just come out and uh, made clear the uh, DEI policies for the team. I do see color. Because I believe if you don't see color, you can't see racism. And whatever, whatever happens, black, white, disabled person, I've always, even someone with disabilities, I always, uh, you know, for the most part, people are like, you know, don't, you know, when they're young, they, they kind of make the spot hot. Younger people know what that means. But what I would say is, like, no, I want you to be able to go up to those people and really understand those people. So it goes back to whatever it is, black, white, yellow, it really doesn't matter but it does matter so we can try to fix a problem that we all know we have. It really doesn't matter, but it does matter. That's the kind of high, high level discourse I would expect from apparently a leftist now in the position of coaching the New England Patriots. I don't see, I see, I see color. I see color because we got to fix the racism, the racism in football. (laughs) Yeah. Finally, finally, the black man is going to have a fair shake in the National Football League. (laughs) You know, it's been a long time coming, but I am so relieved that finally we're going to see a black guy playing football. You know, isn't that great? (laughs) Wow. The civil rights movement is finally flourishing. We're going to get our, if, if you wanted to see color to stop the uh, racial inequality in football, you would have to introduce the first white player <laughs> into football. That's not fair. There are some. Obviously, there was uh, the former quarterback for this very team. What's that guy? Brady. Yeah, he, was, he was pretty popular. And uh, let me think of another white football player. There's the guy who's dating Taylor Swift. And, and, um, and that's it, I think. I think that's pretty much all of it. The white people. The lone white people. I don't even really disagree with this guy. In principle, if his premises were true that there were some awful racism, then he's right. The only way to rectify that problem would be to be conscious of race, to not not deny that people have racial differences. What I think he's missing 
what all of the libs miss when they inveigh against the evil white man, the source of all the problems in the world, we are told, is that white people are the only people who do not see color. In as much as that phrase means anything at all, I don't see color. I don't. The only people for whom that is true is white people. The only people for whom that has been true ever in the whole history of the world is white people. This is very clear from modern social science. When you ask people their racial consciousness, when you ask people, hey, is race, is your race somewhat or very important to you? Every racial group other than white people is above 50%. Asians, Hispanics, for black people, it's above 70%. What's the number for white people? 15. White people have zero racial consciousness, 15%, I guess. They don't, they really don't see color. Everyone else does and everyone else has for all of history, which is how we've ended up in a situation today where white people are the only group that you can discriminate against by law and according to the mores of society. You can also discriminate against the Asians by law, but it's still socially unacceptable to criticize them or to insult them. White people are the only group that you can legally discriminate against in college admissions, for instance. Even after the overturning of affirmative action, all the schools came out and said, don't worry, we'll work around this. We're still going to discriminate against whitey in the admissions. But they're also the only group that you are encouraged to discriminate against. The only group that, that you are taught in school and in the media and in Hollywood and just everywhere. The only group that we are told is, is the cause of all the problems in the world. Everyone's going to attack this guy for this view. This is the view that most people hold. Ironically, white people don't really hold that view. Now, speaking of liberal white people, hold, hold on to your seats. If you're driving, pull over. This one's going to shock you. The president of an LGBTQ pride organization in Canada has been arrested for child sex crimes. Stop the presses. Hat tip to libs of TikTok for pointing this out. Uh, the, the guy's name is Sean Gravels. He is an outspoken LGBT activist, head of a pride organization in Canada, arrested for not, not only for uh, possessing and distributing child pornography, but for sex crimes against children. Really, really awful, heinous sort of stuff. It's always the ones you most expect. It's, it's not totally fair. It is sometimes people that you don't expect. The, the, the counterexample, I can hear it now, all the libs responding to this clip that inevitably will be broken out by Media Matters. They'll say, what about the Catholic priests? And there, there was a major sex scandal, especially at the turn of the millennium, uh, uh, among Catholic priests. That's true. Now, the Catholics were not unique in this regard. That the, the level of sexual uh, disorder and, and criminality that they found among Catholic priests, it, it wasn't particular to that religion. It's true. It's, it's about the same rate as every other religious group out there. It's actually considerably lower than certain other religious groups, especially non-Christian religious groups. Uh, but it's also ex- much, much lower than uh, sex abuse among public school teachers, much, much lower. The public school teachers, it's multiples higher than the Catholic priests. But usually it's the ones you most expect. 
Usually it's not the really nice upstanding family guy who does what he's supposed to do and leads an apparently virtuous life. Usually it's like these guys, okay? It's the guys who make their whole identity weird sex stuff and who run weird sex clubs. And I guess my question here is, why do we encourage this? Why do we allow this to happen? Why are there weird sex organizations all over the West? There didn't used to be, now there are. And they hold big parades in the middle of the street. And they are permitted to go to public libraries and elementary schools and put on weird sex performances specifically targeted toward kids, often involving actual child molesters that have been convicted and have been widely reported on. Why? Why do we tolerate this? The First Amendment? I don't think the founding fathers were into this stuff. This this would not have been tolerated until recent decades. This has no bearing on the First Amendment or the American tradition. Why? To what end? Because some pervert wants to do it? Why? I don't care what Sean Gravels wants to do about anything. He's very deviant and disordered. And he he has no right to do any of this stuff. Why do, why do we encourage it? What's, what's good about it? What good is to be gained from it? Not very much. We don't think in those terms, though, anymore. What's good? <laughs> like basic stuff. You know, polities exist uh, to do more good stuff and less bad stuff, and so people can live a good life in a flourishing community. How about we start thinking that way? Because otherwise, the way that our political communities are going to be ordered is when bad people who like to do bad things, go meet up and plot out how to control the world and invite actual witches to guide them in doing that. That doesn't seem like a recipe for success. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow.